Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Uh, boys, it is a Monday morning recording sesh, something we don't often do. Uh, so it feels a little different to do radio in this context. But Piper, I'm going to let you do what you always do, um, which is pay some bills for us as a program and tell us about our sponsors. Yeah, our sponsors this week are our uh, our longtime coffee mogul partnership uh, with Redbud City Coffee Roasters. If you go to redbudcoffee.com, you can see their full list of roasts. Um, it's a family-owned uh, coffee roaster, and they actually also support every every purchase supports a an organization that fights sex trafficking as well. So by ordering coffee from Redbud, you're doing a little bit of additional good. And if there's anything that Christians like, it's consumeristic social <laughs> justice. So uh, we are strongly in favor of this. So if you go to redbudcoffee.com, you can see their full list of roasts. They rotate them through. They're all single origin from around the world. Uh, the Brazilian honey is my favorite. And then at checkout, be sure to use the code HAPPYRANT to get a 10% discount. They also sell in uh, large bags, large bulk. So if you wanted to get it for a church or for an office or whatever, you could do that as well. Um, our second sponsor is Dwell Bible App. And you should be familiar with this by now, listeners. If you're a first-time listener, let me tell you a little bit about it. Dwell is an audio Bible app. They, um, it's, it's, so it's available on all mobile devices. They have uh, a whole selection of Bible versions and readers and background music and listening plans and features to help you memorize, to help you study, even to help you, uh, you can listen to it while you go to sleep or put your kids to bed and there's a sleep feature. So they just keep building this out. If you go to dwell app, dot io slash happy rant that's dwell app dot io slash happy rant uh, you can see what they're offering to our listeners which is a 10 percent discount off of the annual subscription or a 33 percent discount off of the lifetime subscription so that's under a hundred dollars lifetime access as they continue to build this out and add features and add plans and everything else so again check them out dwell bible app we love them and one last thing, um, as it seems as the world is, is reopening a little bit with vaccinations um, going out there, COVID numbers reducing, um, all three of us are willing and able and eager speakers for whatever events you're starting to book for later in this year. So if you go to happyrantpodcast.com, there's a little place where you can book us or contact us each. So if you wanted to have all three of us out or each one, you know, one of us individually, we won't be offended if one gets invited and the others don't. Um, we would love to speak to, we've done student ministry stuff, men's conferences, preaching on Sunday mornings, camps, kind of the full gamut. So whatever it is that you would want to have us out for, we would be eager to do that. And I think all of us are, are kind of chomping at the bit uh, after last year being stuck at home so much. So throwing that out to listeners as well. Pipe, incredible work. And, um, the the boys getting back out on the road. Ronnie Tarmac, uh, just this week. Where are you going, baby? Yeah, doing a uh, just getting back into a uh, little Harbor Network work. Ooh, with, a little you know, Harbor. Getting back into a little little trip to uh, Louisville, uh, Louisville, ah, uh, okay, uh, Kentucky, 
And uh, yeah, so nothing, not, nothing too far, nothing too uh, exotic. Not the full harbor like Naples, Florida treatment. You guys haven't like bought not your yet. Own I mean, we got to work. Our, we got to work slowly into yeah. that, right? I mean, these are baby steps. These are getting us to that place. You got to reach out to the the Harbor Network oil baron who finances the whole thing. And uh, correct, get, right? He needs a little time and attention. He's still a little nervous about COVID. He's a big COVID guy, so uh, give it, give it a little some, bit nervous. Yeah, correct. give it some time. Uh, boys, we've got a, a unique episode on tap in that this is going to be one of those conceptual kind of one topic uh, discussions. And I like this one. Uh, it's this. Let's talk about something in our life we'd go back and change if we could. A decision, relationship, relocation, or opportunity missed. How God still used it for good, but you wonder what might have been. So something we would go back and change if we could. A decision relationship, et cetera. Uh, I think this is really good. It's really interesting, really thoughtful. Uh, a couple of things immediately sprang to mind um, for me, but wondered what you guys thought about it. Um, I'm not one of those bros who's like, bro, no regrets. You know, you, no regrets. One of those no regrets guys. I'm not one of those guys at all. I've got massive Which regrets. is always shocking, yeah. isn't it? Like when you hear, like I'm always surprised, and you mainly hear it from celebrities, you know, yeah. when they're doing these really deep yeah. interviews, you know, and, you know, they they sort of had this past where, that they're emerging from. Right. And then the uh, at one point, the interviewer always says, so, I mean, do you have regrets? And I feel like almost 10 for 10, these people always go, I don't. Yeah. I have zero regrets. I would do it all exactly the same way because it brought me to where I am and it made me the person that I am. And I'm yeah. sitting there going, dude, like I've seen you on the cover of those magazines for some of those mistakes you made. Like you'd go back to that? Dude, right. You'd do that again. Like you've been married yeah. 14 times. You almost died of a right. heroin overdose. Like really? Huh? You don't want to pare that down yeah. to married like, I don't know, three times exactly. and no heroin overdose? Exactly. Yeah. Um. I don't know where are you guys at on this one. I've I've certainly got some dialed up, and uh, I can talk about them. But uh, take it away. Kick yeah. So kick us off. <laughs> there's one that I'm kind of in the middle of right now, which is uh, my movie. Um, mm. I, I wish I'd never collaborated with friends on it um, mm. because it's killing me. And as you guys know, with creative stuff, um, well, uh, just in a general sense, collaborations are the worst. But you know, like I, I'm, I'm kind of an idealist and I can't stay out of my own way in terms of involving my friends and I involve them. And now, you know, invariably because we're people and we all have different visions for the project, like they want to take it in some different directions. I don't know. I wish I just like sold out, sold it to a studio, been done with it, made a big pile of cash and moved on with my life. But um, so, yeah, that that one, I feel like we're at this crossroads of. Not only is the movie not going to be very good, it's also going to ruin our friendships. And uh, I probably have a darker view of it than than it is actually reality. But that's how it's feeling now. So um, I don't know. KK insists that it's a good thing that I did it the way I did it, but uh, but I have my doubts on that one. I man, I, I've never been in that position. But from the outside looking in on situations where people do either creative ventures or start a business or like plant a church with friends, I always think that doesn't seem worth it to me. Yeah. You know, I, keeping not. keeping business and friendship <laughs> uh -huh. separate, it seems wise to yeah. me. And I realize there's, there's a touch of irony in the fact that the three of us are co-authoring a book right now. Um, Hopefully we have enough of a basis to have made this work, but uh, yeah, it just that seems that seems so potentially risky yeah. to me uh, because there's 
at least in at least in my experience, to do anything well creatively or uh, business wise, you have to be able to be very cut and dry and potentially hurt people's feelings. But it's not about them; it's about whatever problem you're trying yeah. to fix. But when you mix relationships in that, it, it really muddies oh, the water. Yeah, it rarely seems to end well. I mean, because yeah. again, it's yeah, because especially for creative things, because everybody is. It's like create creativity is something that is so connected to like the heart and the soul, yeah. and so. It becomes everybody's baby to the point to where if they have to relinquish any control over it, it just causes emotions then to just fly all over the room. And now you got all these all these emotions overlapping, just you know, sort of like you know, flying into each other. And then how do you resolve that, right? Because at some point, I mean, any creative endeavor, and you can talk about this, Big T, like mm-hmm. somebody has to compromise. Oh, absolutely. Like somebody's yeah. vision has like everybody's vision has to be compromised yeah. to the point. Yeah. But like somebody somebody's gonna hold to something a little tighter than somebody else and like who gets to relinquish like who gets to give away the largest percentage of what their ideal was right for the uh, the endeavor right somebody has to do it or it doesn't get finished yeah and it, and it usually ends up being like the least a-hole guy in the room who who you know breaks down and relinquishes which which will end up being me um <laughs> at the end of the day and it will you know it just will and i'm gonna reach a point where i'm like you guys do forget it who want. cares put it <laughs> You know, put a robot fake dragon in the movie. I don't care. Just get it done. You know, get it out of my life. It's a millstone but around if, my neck. If you do that, is is there like a tacit assumption that if you do that, you're also not allowed to be bitter about it? Uh, or is it or is it the understanding that since you did that, you forever get to be bitter about it and be like, well, if we had done it yeah, my way. I mean, I, th- I think I'll get to be bitter about it. But the, but the catch-22 with that one, Pipe, as you guys know, is that like for us as believers, it's not profitable or good or joyful or anything healthy for us to carry around bitterness. And the the real kind of ironic rub with all this is that I've <laughs> I've been collaborating in some form or fashion for 15 years and it's never gone well, but I've never learned, you know. Um <laughs> I think I think that's the part of this that's so frustrating for me. Um you know, it's funny cuz I think, you know, it's weird you say that, man, because I, I think a lot about I've not done a lot of collaborative work. Mm-hmm. In fact, me and you Big T, that's some of the most collaborative work I've I've ever done. Well, that I was actually, actually enjoyed the it. one in the Well, and because I I didn't, you know, it all depends like what, there are certain things depending on what it is in our personal lives like I can go like okay, so let's just take it. I mean, Pipe just called it out like like the book that we're working on like I don't think any of us are like have our hands around it so tightly to where it's becoming something like to where none of us can budge on any right, part of it. Right. You know, like I feel like there's even the way we've approached it and the way we're writing it, the way we're in the middle of it. There's like a looseness to it that just allows it to be something where it's a true collaboration rather than one person's, you know, sort of art project that they pulled a couple other people into. Right. And so I think in that sense, it was like, hey, should we all do this? So it really from the get go. It was like this collaborative thing, but I think other things, like if if you're the one that like if you're the one that was the brain behind it, or you're the one that initially made the step mm-hmm. into dreaming it up, and then you bring other people into it, that makes it really hard because it means that man, you were the one that cast the initial vision for it, yeah. And how do you co- then how do you compromise? That, right, right. You know, well, and it makes it so di- collaboration so hard. It is so hard, and with a movie like it's intensely collaborative and it it has to be because you know the guy the guy who was really the impetus for making the movie was an actor who was a friend who was connected with people with money and you know really he his vision hasn't been the issue he's been great but um you know so then we brought these other friends in and it's just gotten 
you know, massively complicated, but anytime you're trying to do something that big, like you can't do it on your own unless you're just a, a billionaire with unlimited resources. So, um, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, live and need, learn. You need to have like a, a collaboration, uh, you know, DTR talk beforehand, yeah. you know, in terms of like, this is, this is how this is going to work. I'm responsible for this. You're responsible for that. Don't step in my lane. I don't step in your lane, well, which is uncomfortable on the front end and probably makes some people go, eh, I don't, I don't really well, dude, do not that. only it's slightly is it, idealistic too, but yeah, yeah. it's uncomfortable, yeah. but it's also at the front end. That's when there's the most enthusiasm. Because everybody's like stoked that it's happening and totally. full speed ahead and everybody's just doing their stuff. So you think, oh, this feels good. This feels healthy. We don't need to DTR this thing. But actually, you're mm. right, Pipe. That's the thing that most needs to happen uh, at the mm. beginning of those those deals. But uh, yeah, I've, I've gone on one, man. I've got a whole like truckload of regrets yet to go. But, <laughs> but <laughs> where are you guys at? Baby, this was your topic. Do you have one? Yeah, well, yeah, I was I don't know why I was thinking about this this morning cuz me and Big M were having a convo kind of related to some of these things, but um the uh you know, I I remember this was way back in the day and it was right as I was getting into a bunch of music stuff and I had somebody from a a Bible college approach me because I'd done some sort of leadership e things like kind of in our in our youth ministry, which was kind of one of those larger kind of big church youth ministries, so it kind of it kind of got some attention, you know, kind of a thing. And I remember somebody approached me and and offered me sort of the opportunity to, you know, at like, I don't know, 19 or 20 years old or one of the, you know, something like that, some age like that. And, to, you know, kind of kind of roll out this opportunity. Hey, you should think about ministry. I, man, I, I see, you know, kind of the, I see some, I see some, some things in there that, that I think could, you know, kind of lead down this path. And I, you know, I went and I, and I really thought, I really thought about it, but I'd been, I've been working so hard on all this music stuff. And I went to my brother and I said, man, I'm thinking about this. I'll have to, I'll have to kind of move away. And he just was like, you can't, you cannot do this. We're just like all this stuff starting to happen. We've put all this work. You're, you know, all this stuff that you've been dreaming about, blah, blah, blah. You can't do it. You can't do it. And so I let it go. I pursued, I pursued the music stuff, which, you know, took me, took me through the next 20 years or whatever. And God used all the music stuff for better, for worse. But I always wonder because I got kind of a late start into vocational ministry. And I always wonder what it may have been like, had I just taken that step where I would be, of course I'd be in a different place today. Like you always would when you make a different decision. But I always wonder like, man, was that like God was doing something through that person in that moment. And I pushed back on it. And here I am today, you know, eventually the Lord brought me into whatever he wanted to bring me into, but you just like, you have to wonder like how much more developed and, and how much more progress I would be experiencing in some particular areas that, you know, I didn't experience until later on. And I think, you know, obviously we can always wonder that and say that I, I made a step to the right instead of the left. And so it caused certain growth and, and, you know, certain, you know, certain uh, situations to be suspended or, or to never happen at all. But I, there's that one, that one moment I always look back on. I go, oh man, I wonder what would have happened if I would have said yes. Yeah. Um, of course, I would have. I wouldn't have done all the music stuff that I did, and you know, all of that shaped so much and led me to where I'm at today. So God used it. But you got to wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I I have a sneaking suspicion that if you had gone into ministry at 19, you would have been out of ministry by like 28. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably true. Well, You'd be doing the music you know, stuff now. You know. You know, you you talked about how much more developed, and yeah, well, you'd be doing you'd be doing like the the Gungor kind of thing now, or something. You know, just in terms of 
and that's not a shot at you, but just yeah. the arc of people who who kind of they get into this really difficult, complex space of vocational ministry, too young and underdeveloped sure. to know how to handle it, and so it's, I yeah, I, my my sense is that you're probably way better at it having gotten into it as an adult than as a you know a, a post pubescent teen kind of yeah, thing. I feel the same. I mean, I feel the same thing in my life, you know. So I, I didn't get into vocational ministry until I was thirty six, something like that, mm. thirty five, and that feels really late to the game in some ways. But also, a lot of the things that eat up young ministers, I look at and I'm like, that that doesn't seem like a big deal to me, you know, in terms of the finding finding out how to to balance work and home life and and the some of the challenges of life. Like there's just a fair amount of life that, that pours into ministry to be like, yeah, I, I, I think I just have a more level head than I would have at 24 plus character development plus whatever else. So yeah, as, as much as that's a, I think it's a valid question like the, the what ifs, but also I bet you're a better pastor now because you didn't get into it at 20. Yeah. And I agree. And I think, yeah, some of the things, and, and that's, that constantly comes back to me because I work with younger pastors who are in their twenties and, um, you know, you just kind of look at some of the things that they, they don't know because they can't know because they haven't experienced it. And you just kind of go, well, Lord, you, it's an unusual path that you brought me on, but I'm thankful for some of that because I learned some of the things that they're learning in ministry out of ministry so that by the time I got into ministry, the ministry isn't in some way suffering um, some of those things that I'm going through. And of course, that's not a hit at them. That's just where God has them. But um, yeah. but yeah, but you but you got to wonder, you know what I mean? You, you just wonder yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, if people are... What I, I, oh, go ahead, Pipe. I'm sorry. Not you. Go, go yeah. Ahead. I think if you're getting pulled into ministry at age 19, they're, you're almost certainly getting pulled in for the wrong reasons. You know, it's because mm-hmm. you're good looking or charismatic or good in front of people or whatever, and not because you have anything like, right. you know, um, really reasoned or nuanced or profound to say. Um, well, there's been no opportunity for, you know, there's really not been an opportunity for there to be a lot of fruit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Somebody sees attributes in you, but, but yeah, you're right. Like the fruit, the, the kind of learning that you would want to have taken place, you know, can't have taken place by then in most cases. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, it's fascinating. I was going to say as well that one of the advantages to coming into ministry later is, you know, for for guys who get into it early, there's sort of a sense of like ministry is this unique, you know, it's such a such a unique role. Nobody else can totally understand it. And having come in, you, you from the music industry, me from publishing and other things, you come in and you go, yeah, there are definitely aspects of ministry that that are very different than every other uh, calling, job, occupation, whatever. But it's not nearly as unique mm-hmm. as some people want mm-hmm. to make it. So, like the 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 bubble that we keep ourselves in is probably way more transparent and way more accessible because so much is transferable between what it looks like to be a faithful Christian musician or a faithful Christian marketer or a faithful Christian editor and being a faithful Christian pastor. And then there's the unique aspect of it that it's just a way smaller core of what that is. And so you just kind of feel less special in your role. You're like, yeah, this, this is the thing that God has for me to do. But also, like, I'm not, I'm not like some, some 
you know, uniquely called mm-hmm. special prophetic anything. I'm, I'm God just put me here to do this thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a more humbling. It's a more, you come into it a little more, you don't always, but you have the opportunity to come into it later, a little more humble than you would have at 20 years old. Think, you know, thinking that, you know, everything that a 20 year old thinks they know, you know, I mean, dude, hopefully, but then you meet some like 50 year old guys who aren't even remotely humble and you wonder how, well, I mean, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. 100. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I knew everything now that I thought I knew at 20. Yeah, I know. Wouldn't that be great? Truly. How far would you boys be if you were smart as you were <laughs> at 20 years old? No question. Uh, no offense to all of our 20-year-old listeners. Obviously. That's true. We love our 20-year-old no, listeners. I don't, I don't mind offending them a little bit. It's okay. <laughs> they, they could probably no one else is offending a little them. offense. Speaking right. as someone in the college business. Right. <laughs> uh, boys, do you have one more, maybe? Um, one more thing. Uh, I was thinking about it, and... It, I've, it was a challenging question for me because I'm not a no regrets person. There are definitely things in my life that I regret, particularly because of the pain that they caused sure. others. You know, decisions that I've made that have been detrimental to others, whether it was just foolishness or sin or some combination of the both. Um, so, yeah, those are the ones that I would like to go back and undo. Mm-hmm. However, almost every one of my worst decisions has been pivotal in. God growing me as a as a Christian and teaching me. I'm just a really stubborn, dumb person when it comes. I only learn by mistakes, apparently, not by listening. <laughs> and so I had to get to the point of, oh, those are the severe consequences for this idiocy before learning what faithfulness looks like or, you know, consistency or maturity or any of those mm-hmm. things. The one thing that stands out in my mind that I look back on and go, I don't know the benefit of that dumb decision and I really wish I could do it differently was I think I completely wasted my education. Oh, yeah. Um, I I was the laziest, most self-centered student Whedon College has ever seen. <laughs> um, just I was there to do whatever I wanted to do and just didn't have a sense of the opportunity that I was squandering at mm-hmm. the time um, in terms of the amazing professors, the environment on campus, the... I mean, even the friendships I had there, you know, all my friends were, were pretty diligent students and, and I just didn't follow their lead at all. And I was there for intramural sports and to hang out with friends and to participate in the classes that I thought were worth my time as if at 19, I had any idea what was <laughs> worth my time. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And I just wonder what, what direction my life would have taken had I learned a work ethic and a level of humility to to sit down and go, maybe I'm not smarter than my professors. Mm. Maybe there's, maybe it's worth it to like put off ultimate Frisbee for the sake of, you know, actually studying for this exam. Uh And I just didn't ever, maybe, maybe by my junior and senior year, I, I developed a little bit of that, but I think that was mostly the fact that by that time I was only taking my major classes and I liked most of those. So I don't think it was work ethic as much as convenience. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, and, you know, so I grad school has kind of been off the table for me because I really don't enjoy school, but also in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, I was a trash student. And so in my mind, I'm still a trash yeah. student, even though it's been 20 years since I was in college. Dude, let me, let me make a, which is a little bit of an argument for you, uh, on, on the grad school thing. I was a trash student as well. Every single thing that you said a minute ago about your undergrad experience applied to me including thinking that you hated school because of it. But then I went to grad school um, 
about a decade ago, I guess, as an adult and uh, absolutely loved it. It was a blast. Um, the work was fun. The classes were fun. It, you know, it was like everything that undergrad wasn't in a lot of ways. And uh, I don't know. I think as a mature adult now, especially as one with like a sense of your own fallibility, um, I don't know. I think you would really dig it. But, um, you know, it's not it's not for everybody. And the timing of life isn't for everybody. And I know there's factors. But um, but but yeah, going well, that- going back and doing that as an adult was was great for me. And that's the crazy thing, because and and I would be interested to hear what Ronnie has to say about this, because obviously he's he's done seminary and now is in doctoral work as as an adult, not as you know straight out of college kind of thing. But I've done so many things that are the equivalent to all the stuff I hated in college, and I enjoy it. You know, every time if I prepare to teach or preach, like there's there's studying, there's taking right. notes, there's it's it's essentially a big old pile of homework. Right. You know, I've written I've written four books. Well, that's that's a lot of that's papers, right. you know, <laughs> and and just so on and so forth, all of those things, and so and and all of which has been well worth it and generally enjoyable. You know, I don't enjoy every minute of it, but that's work. And yet, in my mind, the idea of school is an utter drag. It's just soul sucking to me. Even though it's probably almost a one to one correlation between what school would be like now and what writing a book is like now or preparing to teach or whatever those things right. are. Absolutely. Hmm. Interesting. Ronnie, how's how has your school experience been coming to it? You know, so you know, you you came to ministry later and yeah. then also going back for grad school. Yeah, I mean, it's been so. Here's the thing: like, you guys had that. Ex- you guys had that sort of that four year experience that I, I missed out. You know, I was in the uh, the school of rock and roll during those mm-hmm. years that I I should have been just doing a four year undergrad program. So I missed out on all that. And so ministry, you know, kind of coming into ministry in the way that I did, kind of served as sort of my undergrad in some ways. And so all this all this post grad work I've done has really been kind of my introduction into, uh, you know, seminary life, college life, university life, whatever you want, however you want to phrase it. So it's been really interesting. It's, you know, man, it's such, I mean, Piper, you know, this it's, and maybe we all feel this way, but it, it really is. Um, it, it's so, it, it's a different experience for different personalities. I'm, I'm just not an academic. So, um, I really slog through things. Like I don't learn well from these, from these really crazy, like heavy, highly academic, like books that, that they make you read that are never under 726 pages. And, um, you know, writing papers, although I, I write quickly, I write efficiently. I tend to get okay grades. Like none of it is anything that I feel like produces a lot of life and enjoyment inside of me. So I learn a lot from it. I really do. Um, but I would prefer to be learning. I've learned more on the job and I prefer that style of learning, um, over, you know, kind of hitting the books and being in that environment. That's just a a stifling environment for me. Um, and that's just me. That's just my personality. And again, you know, kind of going back to what you said a minute ago, I think not having spent that time like you guys did, it, it had been, it remained like an undisciplined kind of feature in my life for so many years that getting back into it and having to sit down, sitting from in front of a laptop for hours on end, like typing out papers. It's just not awesome. It's just not awesome for me, even though I'm benefiting from it. I'm learning from it. I'm glad I'm doing it. But in terms of the enjoyability factor, it's a sl- it's for sure a slog. Well, it's a, no it's doubt. a certain kind of writing that isn't creative and it isn't meant to put on for an audience you know what i mean which is why yeah. which is why i hated writing papers in college 
uh, versus writing professionally. Writing professionally is fun because you're you're always putting on for an audience or trying something new or whatever. But um, yeah, when, and you're doing it your exactly. way. There's not like a there's not a form that you're expected to. I I, I, I read the occasional academic book now, and I hate them so yeah, much. They're brutal. They're kind <laughs> Just, brutal. They're they're bad. Like, academic writing is bad writing. Yeah. It just by by any measure except their own, yeah. like they have decided this is how it should be done. Except it's terrible communication. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make things any clearer. In fact, it usually makes things more opaque. Yeah. And it rarely helps me to the point of going, "Oh, that's what they're trying to get at." Yeah, dude. Did you guys? It's just like layer upon layer of I I read this and I studied this and this guy says this and I'm like, I don't care. Just get to the right, point. Right. What is your point? What are you trying to say? You know, and you could probably say it in a page and a half. Um. Did you guys did you guys read uh, Carl Truman's deal the 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 thing with the like the guy and the iPad on the front the the one that just came out like a year ago oh, oh the, the one that's uh, getting all the the, the one that's yeah, getting all the high. It, evangelical looks, book of 2020 that we've already yeah, forgotten yeah, about yeah. <laughs> um, I'm reading it now did you read it yeah I'm I'm, oh, yeah. I'm in it? it now and I'm kind of having that experience with it because it's sort of like half college paper and half like popular thing that people are supposed to enjoy and it's it's sort of mixed in that way i love it i I love carl i think he's the best kind of like cranky guy that we need right now but um but yeah i kind of wondered so it's sort of that yeah because he's i think he's a good writer but he does he's a prof so he kind of like all those dudes they 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 intermingle a lot of like you know a lot of the academy in there right yeah it's kind of got like it's got like mark knoll energy you know like this is really just a gigantic white paper that i threw a decent looking cover on but uh, but he is a good writer though. He no, he is. Make it compelling, yeah, though. yeah, he oh, is, sure. and I'm enjoying it, and I love what he has to say. Like 100, percent I'm 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 in on it. But uh, but it's not like something that we would yeah, write, it, you know. It seems to me so. It I think the reason I dislike academic writing so much, and I haven't read Truman's book, so I don't know if this is true mm-hmm. of that, is it's the opposite of what makes good preaching. Mm-hmm. Like a good academic paper is the exact opposite of good preaching. Yeah. In that, good preaching is you do a ton of work. And you boil it down to the most uh, kind of condensed and maximum point. Mm-hmm. So your your job is to you know you you know all the background, but you're not communicating all the background. You're communicating the yeah. point. Academic writing is the exact opposite. It's like what is a point? Right. We're going to show off all of our research. This this whole thing is an exercise in all of the work that we did. And so I, there, there's merit in it from a if you're looking to study a topic, but it's just yeah, it is just a dog of a of a. It's a slog. A reading experience. It's such a slog, and, <laughs> it's and, and so to be, bad. And to be clear, listeners, our book is the furthest thing from that. If there ever was a book, yeah. that's far from that yeah. kind of writing. Oh, absolutely. I would like to know how many minutes either of you have spent researching, and I said minutes because I know it's not more than that, <laughs> uh, any of the portions of this book. Approximately zero minutes for me at this point. Yeah. Unless we count recording episodes as research, in which case it's about 25 to 55 minutes per week. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Let's stick with that. So it's Some guys, though, are just gaga over research. You know, so yeah. I think so, you know, I mean, I know we're kind of rabbiting here, but I think that's what's fascinating, too, though, to your point, Pipe, is that there are, believe it or not, and you know, this is rhetorical, but like there are dudes out there, there are women out there that read those academic books and they just lap them up like they love them, like they're just fascinated by all the intricacies and all the research. And I, it's just, it's baffling to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Those people should be on a watch list somewhere. That's terrifying. It to is me. to me too, but it's a little bit of a flexing opportunity for those people too, though. 
you know, yeah, for- like you can read it and then you can flex about it and, and how much you enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it's the culture that makes everybody else feel the culture stupid. They want to be. In yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, boys, any more regrets, any big life, life changing moments you would do differently? I'm trying to figure out. Maybe you guys can help me because you're both slightly further along in parenting than I am. Mm. I'm trying to figure out where my parenting regrets should lie. Oh, interesting. Mm. You know, there's a sense in which I'm very open handed and I'm like, my children are, they're my responsibility in a sense, but it's not like they're the clay and I'm the potter. Um, but also, I have a growing sense that maybe I have screwed them up, <laughs> you know, just, and maybe that's, maybe that's just the nature of them growing into adolescence yeah. and there's different challenges, but I'm just like, Oh boy, Pipe, let me, let me it, posit something. There are some real challenging days here. There's the, the days are better on the one hand, but some days are just bad. Let me posit something by way of encouragement and by way of like, uh, I don't know, without saying too much, we, we've just come out of a, I don't know, as a, as a church or a small group or whatever, kind of a brutal thing with, with somebody. But, uh, I, I, I'll say it this way. I think the fact that you have those concerns is proof that you're probably doing a good job. And because the, the guy that I'm most scared of is the guy who thinks that he's an amazing parent and that he's never made a mistake and that his teenage kids are, you know, incredible missionaries already. And yeah, they're just crushing, they're it, just crushing it left and right all over the place. Like that's the guy that I'm most scared of in any kind of a church setting. Um, uh, well, I'm the exact opposite. I mostly go through life wondering if I ever made any, like every decision I make parenting, I'm like, ah, I don't know if I did that. Well, dude, and you, and, and you probably have made some mistakes. I know we have, but like, I think the the ability to have your eyes open about that and be humble about it and take input from your church and other people and glean wisdom and ask questions like that's that's probably the best thing you have going for you as a parent to be honest and um you know i i think the other stuff will fall into place but maybe i'm oversimplifying baby man of the cloth speak into mm-hmm. piper's question yeah you know gosh it, it's so complex because i mean god uses us to shape our kids and yet he's the one that shapes our kids and so Man, I, I for sure have regrets, and they really lie into they they really lie in the realm of I wish that I would have I wish that I would have put more emphasis on my own spiritual development with my child, my daughter, rather than sort of pitching her to you know the youth groups that she grew up in, the yeah. churches that we are part of, and so I I would if I look back I, you know I would I would have said in the moment of course I'm not doing that, but. Knowing the environment she was in, I backed away from some of those more intentional sort of um, patterns that I wish we would have established in our lives together because it was like, well, I mean, she's going to be there on Sunday nights, Wednesdays, Saturday morning, you know, whatever the whole pattern was with that. And so I I look back at that and I went, oh, you kind of handed that off a little bit, which is the cliche. Mm -hmm. And um, I wish that – I wish that it would have been a little more hands-on and intentional from my side of things. Now – I mean, you say that and it's like, you know, God's still going to work the way he's going to work. I mean, you look at these, you look at these dudes that are serving or these women that are serving Jesus right now that had the most horrendous like upbringings in the world. And then you look at these people that, you know, had the most faithful, godly upbringings in the world and they couldn't be further away from, from Christ. And you just go, man, God, God's just working through all of our screw ups constantly. Yeah. It's just, you have to have some hope and confidence and faith that man, he's using us. 
but um, he just he ultimately is just going to do what he wants to do. I mean, yeah. that's where our sovereignty, that's where our high God, you know, sovereignty of God theology really, yeah. I think it helps us quite a bit. It has to, or we're just not going to be sleeping much, and I, right. you know, I got and I need to sleep. Well, and even right? even in that though, there's a certain amount of humility baked into that that I think is good for us. You know, um, if we are going to sleep, if yeah. we are going to celebrate exactly. sovereignty, then then it comes from a a place of some humility. Um, yeah, the, I think the, the risk that I don't, I I feel drawn to this sometimes, or I kind of wonder where the line is, is, is the difference between kind of what Ronnie just said, which is, you know, we, we have responsibility to our kids, but God is going to do what God does. And then sort of the fatalistic hyper Calvinist, like I, whatever God's going to do things. And and, and so kind of a, it's essentially a, a, we get to, we get to punch out on this one. Um, and, and I have I have hundred percent used that mindset as an excuse to not be as devoted and attentive as I should to especially spiritual things in in re, you know in the past years just like ah oh, well this is in God's hands mm-hmm. not realizing fully that yes but God also put the kids in my hands and so there's a, there's a both and there yeah so it's sure. that that fatalistic aspect of things is can be a temptation for but sure. I think for you pipe what kind of like what. Uh, Big T just said. I mean, the fact that you even asked the question, you know, it's like our our lives are in a good way. I think our lives are so wrapped up into our kids. They're a flesh and blood. And so, I mean, there is a part. I mean, if you were that fatalistic, that would just be more of you being a bad parent that didn't care very much or, or love your yeah. kids very much. So, I mean, the fact that I love my daughter to the degree that I do, it means that, man, that responsibility that God had given me, I wish I would have done a better job in that responsibility. But... I know that all these years later, now that she's an adult and she's on her own, I mean the the Lord has to the, the Lord has to do what He wants to do because I you know none of that is under my control anymore anyway. And by the way, it never never really was. Yeah. And so that's where that's not fatalism. That's just going, Lord. I'm I'm seeing more of how the control that you have over the situation is what ultimately leads me back to grace and then rest mm-hmm. and all of that. I think a lot of it too is yeah. like allowing our kids to see the affections of our hearts. And if they, if they see us loving the church and going with a joyful spirit and, you know, uh, loving the word and being in the word and, you know, yeah, we're going to, we're going to screw up at times in terms of how we convey that to them. But, but if, if they see a joyful, teachable, humble, like love of Christ in our hearts, then I, I think that will be compelling to them more than any, like, um, I don't know, programmatic, mechanical, you know, okay, we're going to read the Bible for 20 minutes and we're going to grind through this kind of thing that you would do with them or not do with them. So um, I hope, you know, and I, and I hope, I hope in our house that creates a um, just kind of an environment of openness where they can talk and ask questions and doubt. And some of the stuff that Piper wrote about, um, I, I want this to be the kind of place where that can take place. And um but who knows, man? At the end of the day, who knows if we're doing it right? I guess I guess we'll know when they're when they're old. But uh, but yeah, there, there's yeah. there's definitely worries for sure. Um, boys, here's the deal: we can wrap it, we can keep going. We we've put in a tidy 38 minutes. I feel like this has been a good a good run for a Monday morning. A good amount. I of feel work. good. Let's wrap. Yeah, it. let's wrap yeah. it. Yeah, I think we're I think we're in a good spot. I feel I feel uh, that was that was therapeutic good. in the best yeah. sense. Well, whatever we can do for you, pipe. You know, 
Um, you can get up off the Chase Lounge and swipe your insurance card on the way out, and you know we'll be we'll be good. Uh, but boy, yeah, I just I recently started watching The Sopranos, and it you know I'm just like two or three episodes in, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I feel I feel very much like uh, you know th- th- this feels like one of those therapy scenes. Like I feel like I'm I'm good to go. I'm back. Dude, that game. first step with like the duck on the pool on the pool in his backyard, yes. crazy man. What a show. Um, boys, we've done what we always do on this show. Also, what a show about our show. Uh, we've done what we always do and that we've wandered to and fro throughout, in this case, one topic. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.